welcome to the first lecture for Philosophy 2500, Introduction to Feminist Philosophy. Today we're going to be talking about our first reading, which is Simone de Beauvoir's Introduction to the Second Sex. Um, before we begin, I just want to say a few things about how this will hopefully go. So this lecture will be divided into two lectures, and each of these lectures will be about 20 to 25 minutes long. First, the, the, we'll talk a little bit about some context. So I'll give you a little bit of background about Simone de Beauvoir and her life, and then a little bit of background about the second sex as a philosophical work. Um, and then we'll just go through the article and hopefully um, hopefully it, it helps uh, you understand this, this piece. So before I begin, I just want to read something by Talia Mae Betcher, who's a, a feminist philosopher who writes, who wrote in a, a blog post, I'm afraid there's a tendency among some philosophers to suppose that philosophical investigations into race, gender, disability, trans issues, and so forth are no different from methodological, are no different methodologically, sorry, from investigations into the question whether tables really exist. One difference, however, is that while tables aren't part of the philosophical conversation, trans people, people with disabilities, people of color are part of the conversation, or at least we think we are. We're here in the room and we've suffered from lifelong abuse. So please understand that this, this is a little bit personal. So today we're going to be talking about gender, which is, is likely personal for all of us whether that's um, because you've experienced gendered oppression or because talk of gender oppression makes you feel like the bad guy or all these things. So, so I'll try to be thoughtful and, and gentle in this discussion. And um, please know, I know this is, takes a lot of, courage and it's not an easy thing but really if if um if some if there's anything that you're uncomfortable with or that um that you didn't like please you're always welcome to send send me an email and um obviously I'll try not to make missteps but um yeah there's you know we're, there's lots of learning to do about these these complex and personal topics. Okay, so let's dive in. So first, a little background about Simone de Beauvoir. So Simone de Beauvoir was born January 9th, 1908 in Paris. So we're getting close to um, 100 years ago that she was born. Her family came from an aristocratic background. So her, her mother was quite wealthy, but her mother's family lost much of their 
wealth in the uh, in the First World War. Her father was an atheist. Her mother was deeply religious. She was a Catholic. Beauvoir studied mathematics, literature, languages, and philosophy. And at the age of 21 in 1929, she was the youngest student ever to pass uh, the highly competitive philosophy um, agregation, agregation exam and, uh, and thus become the youngest philosophy teacher in France. And she did very, very well on the exam. She came um, second in the exam. And it was very close. Some say she was robbed, but... She's written fiction novels, plays, philosophical works. She helped found the politically unaffiliated leftist French journal Les Temps Modernes. And in 1949, she published The Second Sex, a um, very thorough, very well, incredibly well-researched book um, that's, I think, over 800 pages. She was politically active in her life, although, interestingly, she had an almost lifelong ambivalence about feminism as a political movement and only became active in the feminist political movement in the 1970s when the movement um, de libération des femmes emerged in France. And um, so the second se and then she passed away April 14th, 1986. So a little bit of background about um, about the second sex and what kind of uh, work it is. So the second sex was first published in 1949 and the book was so controversial that the Vatican put it on their index of prohibited books. At the time, systematic philosophical examinations of the oppression of women both historically and in the modern age, were nearly non-existent. For instance, uh, in the preface to the second sex itself, the first translator into English, Howard M. Parshley, who was a retired professor of zoology, wrote that Madame de Beauvoir's book is after all on women and not on philosophy. Um, but obviously, is, it's now considered uh, a, a great, a really important and revolutionary philosophical work. One revolutionary part of it was that in this work, Beauvoir uses one of her tools for philosophical reflections is her own embodiment, her own experiences of being a woman. So to use philosophical jargon um, Beauvoir this is this methodology is called a phenomenological investigation where you use a first-person experience to gain insight into some philosophical question so traditionally it's been a methodology used in the study of consciousness and here 
Beauvoir uses her, the gendered body as the object of phenomenological investigation. So she uses her first person experience of being a woman um, as, as a place to, to learn about um, this, qu this question that she wants to ask, which we'll talk about, but essentially is set out in the introduction as asking what is a, what is a woman. And we'll talk a little bit at the end of the chapter about um, some of the strengths and weaknesses of, the, of this phenomenological approach. So to this day, the second sex remains one of the foundational texts in philosophy and feminism and women's study. And in general, it describes in great detail the specific ways that our world social and natural has been created or interpreted to produce an, an ideology of women's natural inferiority. Um, so we're, so we'll just be looking at the introduction, but the first, the, the books in two sections and the first section looks at, um, some of the justifications that have been given for women's um, presumed inferiority to men. Um, so she looks at biology and economic history and um, psychoanalysis. That's kind of the first section. And then the second one is a really, I mean, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's just a, a really detailed an interesting description of the way that women and men are socially created from birth and onward. So it's divided into kind of different age times, being a child and a teenager and an adult and then older and just the ways that all these small ways that that woman and man are created over time over time and through through teaching and messaging and um so for example in the chapter on being a child she talks about how little boys are in are putting clothing that allows them to explore the world you know with pants and a t-shirt tucked in it just you can just approach the world in this in this curious exploratory way you can climb trees and and uh, get down in the dirt and but with little girls you know all this comparison for little girls of being doll like of being put in dresses all these things that just have this message of of incapacity of stillness of quietness um you know the doll i mean the doll is such an interesting comparison for young girls and women because dolls are inanimate dolls don't say anything they don't do anything they just sit there and look pretty which is a weird um which is a weird thing to want a human being 
to be to a, a weird favorable comparison. So let's get started. I'll do maybe um, about 10 minutes of this article and then we'll take break and then we'll finish the article in the second um, in the second lecture. Okay. So let's begin. So at, in, at the beginning of this article, Beauvoir states the question that she's going to be exploring, which is um, basically what, what is women? Are there women? It seems like we talk about it all the time. There's all this confirmation or this, all this conversation and concern about women losing their way or women real women being here at this in this place and these women are you know becoming unladylike or unwomanly so you know Beauvoir says what what's going on what are what are we talking about what is a woman and the first thing she considers is um about this this idea that what women are is something biological that there's something biological or physiological there's something in our bodies that distinguish us between men and women that carve us into these two groups men and women so this is where she says woman is a womb and in her first chapter in this book, this she really takes up this question about the the biology. Can can we explain women through biology? So one thing she does in that first chapter is just to c complicate this idea of biology. And you know, this book is old, so the I think the biological picture has even become more complicated. And I mean, the at the end of the day, the group that is women are incredibly biologically diverse. So there's a recent Scientific America journal from October 2018, and I'll just give you the title, but the title is Sex Redefined. The idea of two sexes is overly simplistic. Biologists now think there's a larger spectrum than just binary male and female. And maybe I'll just say a little bit about the article. So one thing that this article talks about is this idea of, chrom of sex chromosomes. So there's this, this idea that um, biologically there are sex chromosomes and women have a certain have a certain chromosome, chromosomal pair and men have a certain chromosomal pair. But actually, the more we learn about genetics, the more we learn how complicated that is. So what they've actually found is there are other genetic markers that will, there are, or the, sorry, there are other genes that, that control um, sex expression. So say like, internal organs or external organs that are not these the sex chromosomes so you might have a certain p 
pair. So women have XX, apparently, and men allegedly have XY. But actually, if you have some other genetic thing, if you have other, if you have um, extra or of other um, genetic instruction, then those overwrite this, these sex chromosomes. And this, I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We, we uh, I mean, that, that would be a whole semester in itself to talk about the, but the biology of these things. Um, so we'll just say a little bit, but one thing that Beauvoir says is, okay, look, it really looks so, it looks impossible to get from biology to this this clean division of two um, binary two sexes where every single person just falls squarely into one of these categories and we can do that on the basis of biology that picture just looks so complicated and a mess that seems impossible but what Beauvoir says on top of that is look even if there was biological difference how do we get from biological dis difference to one group is inferior and one group is superior how do we get from biological difference to this idea we have now that men are better and I think, so that's, I mean, that's something to think about, right? Um, I mean, on the surface of it, one biological difference seems to be that most women can have, um, can produce life, not all, definitely not all, and most men can't. How do we get from that, how do we get from women being able to grow and carry life to women being inferior? What an odd turn of events. I mean, doesn't it seem that if anything were going to happen, that that would be exalted? Um, but we don't want that either, and that's... And it's just not true that all women can have children and all men can't. So that, um, so that I mean, it's not it doesn't work as a marker, but just to make, to say a little bit something about about Beauvoir's point. And I just wanted to be clear here when I'm talking about throughout this um, lecture when we're talking about. Um, when Beauvoir is talking about women and men, there are a lot of qualifiers to these terms that are important. So it's obviously not true that black men, for example, in Canada and the United States have the same privileges or are constructed in, in the same way that um, other men are. So... 
uh, and the same goes for women, right? So when Beauvoir, and this is something we'll talk about at the end because it's one of the, it's been one of the big criticisms against Beauvoir is that when she talks about women and men here, we're really talking about a particular subset of women and men. Um, but I'm not going to, I won't add those, um, qual I won't say, you know, like middle class, heterosexual, able-bodied white woman and heterosexual, middle class, um, able-bodied white man every time. But just keep in mind that those are, those are important qualifiers for this discussion and one of the things that was a big became a big criticism of uh, this work and we'll talk about a little bit more about that at the end so so um okay so let's get back to the chapter so she says um look we have this we have we have this kind of problem that seems to be in our cultural narrative right now which is that we're told femininity is in danger right there's this people are concerned about there seems to be this threat to femininity and what this me must mean is that every female human being isn't automatically or necessarily a woman to to be con so considered, Beauvoir writes, she must share in that mysterious and threatened reality known as femininity. So I just want to pause here and say a little bit um, and say something about this idea, which is quite a, which has become quite a significant idea in feminist philosophy, which is the separation of sex and gender. So sex captures what we think of as male and female. So we're talking about sex when we're talking about biological definitions, like um, that female are those beings who produce large gametes and males are those creatures that produce small gametes. That would be a, def a biological definition of sex. Gender is what we're talking about when we're talking about gender are all the kinds of um, things that have been built on top of these sex, this idea, which, which lots of people think is also um, um, constructed, but this idea of two biological, biologically distinct type kinds of humans and then this idea of gender or in this conversation about how femininity and woman seems to be something apart from biology it's not it's not it cannot be explained through biological or physiological things so that's the gender is trying to capture that idea all those things the women have long hair men have short hair 
men can't wear dresses, only women can wear dresses. Women are more emotional, men have no emotions. Women eat vegetables, men eat meat. Women aren't good at math and science, only men are good at those things. Men aren't good at caring for children, women are good at caring for children. Men like trucks, women like dolls. All these things w w fall under this idea of gender. Um, and that's what Beauvoir is looking at in this book, is um, examining this gender question. What is woman? What do we mean by that? So I think we'll stop here. That's about 25 minutes. And um, I'll see you for part two very soon. Okay, so welcome to part two of our lecture on Simone de Beauvoir's introduction for the second sex. So we're still on the first page, but um, we'll pick up speed. So we're just like around the last paragraph. So here she's talking about um, this idea of a feminine essence, some something kind of unchanging and permanent. And she says, well, look, this idea of conceptualism is just not popular anymore and conceptualism very briefly is that the philosophical position is a phil philosophical position on the nature of universals and very generally it it says some it says that universals so in this case we're talking about this idea of a universal kind of feminine essence that this is that these universals are found in particulars. So the universal of femininity would be something found in each particular woman. And Beaufort says, look, this idea is just not popular right now. And what we're learning from biology and the social sciences is that this idea of unchangeable fixed entities is just doesn't seem to be the way the world works. I mean, this is a foundational view of um, evolution, right? And that actually characteristics like femininity or those ascribed to women or um, um, black Americans is about a reaction that's dependent upon a situation so we don't think she's Beauvoir is arguing that that characteristics are now being understood at least in science as um, dependent reactions on context they're contextual they reflect not deep essences that are unchangeable and could never be different but what they show us is an environment they're a reflection of of the environment so she has this great line at the end of the first page that if today femininity no longer exists then it never existed <laughs> okay so um so on this picture, then, 
of it never existing. Um, how do we explain, and on this kind of scientific picture, how do we explain kind of feminine characteristics, characteristics and masculine characteristics? Well, it's just going to be about the, the social context, you know, and this is a, this is a big part. I mean, this is the work of the second sex is to go through growing up and all the ways that we're shaped to be woman or man or man. So Beauvoir goes on to say that, um, look, does this mean that there's no such thing as woman? Is there no content whatsoever to what um, woman is? Is there no, is that just an empty term? And she says, you know, some feminists have argued for this. So she mentions Dorothy Parker saying that she, uh, she quotes Dor Dorothy Parker saying, I cannot be just to books which treat women of woman as woman. Dorothy Parker says that men as well as women should be regarded as human beings. And Beauvoir's response to this is, um, look, go for a walk. <laughs> go for a walk with your eyes open and you'll see you'll see two classes of people. You'll see it in their clothes, in their faces, in the way they hold their bodies, in their smiles, in their gaits, in their interests, in their occupations. It's there, you can, it's just plainly before your eyes. And she says, look, because those differences are there, right now because we can see those differences right now this doesn't mean that those differences are essential it doesn't mean that these differences that it had to be this way um that it was it was destined or it that these differences re reflect like unchangeable natural essences it might be that these are just completely superficial and it would be amazing if they disappeared. But we haven't looked into that yet. And what we know for certain right now is that they most obviously do exist. So we can't just go Dor Dorothy Parker's route and say we're human beings because we're very obviously not right now. We're, And we have all kinds of other, I mean, we we divide into groups, you know, based on race and class and sexual orientation and all, all these things. Um, and so Beauvoir says, look, first we're back to this question, what is a woman? Okay, so now we get to on the next page we get to the heart of Beauvoir's answer which is that what woman is is defined in relation to man and 
the, I, I think the next few pages have some really powerful, important points. So she says, woman is the other to man where man is the absolute. And she has lots of good um, examples for this. So, you know, male is the invisible qualifier. And this is this, and it's also true with things like whiteness or heterosexual. And once you start noticing these things, you see, you see this everywhere. So, you know, for example, um, like think about awards categories, right? You'll have things like best female musician or best female rap artist or best female chef. Um, but there's, but there's not the equivalent qualities for, or so there's not the equivalent categories for men. You don't have best male musician. Normally, you just have best musician or best chef. But that's because you need to be explicit about the qualifier when the qualifier goes against the invisible qualifier. So we can think about this with, I mean, this happens with, with race too, right? It's so rare that someone will say, oh, I mean, like, yeah, incredibly rare that someone will say, oh, I read this amazing white author or I found this really great new white musician. But you'll hear lots of white people say, oh, I, you know, I read this great, book by a, a black American author because if you don't say those qualifiers the assumption will be they're white the assumption will be they're heterosexual or uh, male so she says so Simone de Beauvoir talks about how man represents both the positive and the neutral as indicated by the common use of man to designate human beings in general. So this is just about the idea of um, the new, man as neutral is really interesting, right? So it's this idea that um, the viewpoint of the kind of white, wealthy, uh, heterosexual man is has become an object is the objective view it's the view from nowhere all the other views are views from somewhere but it's been there's this myth that being a man is is no peculiarity your body is seen as a direct and norm and normal connection with the world which is believed to be objective, whereas other bodies are seen to bring this this particular viewpoint. Um, but she Beauvoir rightly points out men have bodies too, bodies with hormones and parts and eyes and hands and all ways that mediate their interaction with the world. We all do. Okay, so then we get into this conversation about self-other and how it's a very old um, relationship that there's a long history of dividing the world into 
these pears. But she says, um, this wasn't applied to men and women. Um, wasn't applied to the, to the sexes originally. And in a lot of these relationships, these self-other relationships, they are revealed or they're understood as being reciprocal, right? Because I experience myself as a self, and so I experience you as another. But obviously, you experience me as the other, and you experience yourself as a self. So she has this example of um, a tra being a traveler. So when I'm at home and I see a traveler, they're the stranger. I'm the one who belongs and they're a stranger. When I travel, I experience myself as a stranger and the other as the one who belongs. And so I have this experience that the relationship of self-other is not fixed, that I can be other and you can be self and vice versa. And this reciprocity for Beauvoir is really important. And she says, it's not, it's not with women. What's happened? Why, why haven't men and women realized that this, this self other um, position, so the self position that men have occupied, have taken for themselves and the object position or the other position that they've um, given to women isn't those aren't fixed those are reciprocal it goes back and forth sometimes you're the self and I'm the other and sometimes I the other and you're the self so she here we go through a few reasons that she gives about why we might have this um this fixed relationship where man has made himself neutral and the absolute subject the kind of fixed himself in this subject and um, one thing that I think is cool, really cool about Simone de Beauvoir and um, I think a big mis, uh, misconception about feminism is that it's man-hating. And one of the things that Beauvoir talks about in The Second Sex, even though it's focused on the oppression of women, is that this fixing of 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 male of man into absolute subject that has happened this being frozen as as the subject and and the fixing of women as as other as object as um and in this case the way she's talking about that is um what women is is defined in relation to men men or man is def can be defined all on its on the, its own all on its own but woman is dependent on man for uh who she is all all of what um all of her characteristics are in relation to man and defined against man and this is um, a way to understand this self um, other or or subject object fixed relationship 
And one of the, I mean, one of the amazing things that Beauvoir says is this is bad for all of us. This is bad for men. Men shouldn't be. It's, it's it not, not in the same way, not that, that um, the oppression has, that then the harm is equal or the harm is the same, but that there is harm to both because it's also not it's also a mutilation of being human which for Beauvoir means being both other and self that that that's fundamental to being a human is this 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 combination of self other experience and so men are also mutilated um, their very being is is mutilated by having to be fixed in um, subject. And obviously, there are lots of other ways that we could talk about um, men being harmed by patriarchy. Um, I mean, I, I think very few people would want their want their personalities and their characteristics and their likes and dislikes being um, being created for them and frozen for them. Okay, so let's return. So she's talking about um, why hasn't this happened? Why haven't we seen this experience of reciprocity? Why haven't men and women, you know, why haven't women gone, hey, I'm also self? And why haven't men gone, hey, oh my gosh, I'm also other? And she gives us a few reasons. So I won't take too long on these. So one reason is she talks about... Um, so one reason she gives is, is women have accepted this. And um, that's something that maybe we want to talk about at our next meeting, at our in-person meeting about how people feel about this. But she says, look, I think this wouldn't have happened if women hadn't been submissive enough to accept this alien point of view and she says okay well why might this have happened women are not a minority group so it seems like they have the collective power to reject this why haven't they rejected it so one thing she says is look one thing that's kind of weird about this man-woman relationship and these structures is there's doesn't seem like there's a historical event that happened that created this that makes the myth more obvious that this is like just has been made up and because there's no historical event that kind of makes this myth more obvious it can seem like it comes across as as natural and that that might be harder to um it might make it then harder to respond to. Um, so we might think of some other oppre oppression, uh, histories of oppression where there, there is this kind of historical marker. So if we think about slavery in the States, slaves were brought over and there's a, there's, there's a history to point to where you can say, look how bold, excuse my language, Look how absolute, look how that distracted me. What a lie this is that, um, that 
black people are inferior to white people look i look at this story you did this you brought people over it happened at this time i can tell you the day and i like the lie is just so obvious so this is one thing she says look maybe there's not the same historical event that makes this myth more obvious um and she's and it seems natural and Beauvoir says look truth the truth is natural things are no more certain than historical things why think that even if there's something natural even that it, if it seems natural why think that nature is fixed any more than historical realities are fixed another reason she gives is maybe women don't share the same solidarity as other oppressed groups they're more spread out they don't share a past a history a religion they're not kind of herded socially into neighborhoods like we've done with um, other groups um Another reason she gives is that women and, and man, this oppressor-oppressed, might form a unit that's harder to split, harder to split up. So she says they form a unity where the two components are necessary to one another. But she actually doesn't say very much about um, why women and men might be necessary for, for each other, which is something we might want to think about. So we might say, well, it's for procreation reasons. But that's not true anymore, at least. So in what way might men and women make a necessary unit? It's not, I think that's maybe something to think about. And she also says, look, just because they might need each other doesn't really explain how this unequal relationship happened because we can imagine lots of other outcomes for needing one another. Maybe needing one another makes us um, respect each other more because we recognize this need. So um, then Beauvoir makes an important point about uh, one thing that might make it difficult to reject the position of other. And she says, look, there's a cost. There's a cost to declining to be the other to refusing to play the game of being a good woman. So just a, you know, a brief, more recent example. Marianne Cooper, so this is in the context of Hillary Clinton running for office and other um, women running for, for president and offices in the states. Marianne Cooper wrote in a 2013 Harvard Business Review article, she's a soci sociologist, that powerful women are judged differently than men because their very success violates our expectations of how women are supposed to behave. So success becomes success in the political and business world are male things to do. So automatically we're suspicious of women who do them because they're not being good women. So in a study from the Harvard Kennedy School, um, subjects were given descriptions of women who were power-seeking and men who were power-seeking. And the participants described the women who were power-seeking 
as as making them feel feelings of moral outrage so they felt contempt anger and disgust for these women and they saw them as less supportive and, and caring where the men who were described as power seeking the participants found them impressive they described them as assertive strong tough competent um so this is a idea so this is one of Beauvoir's explanation is look we there's a there's a quite a social cost to doing these things um and finally she says look another reason is maybe it's easier you know living an authentic life is hard work even though it's you know what what makes us flourish what's best for us it's hard work okay and then she has asks where where did this start where did how did this relationship start so she says some things about um how we should be suspicious of of men's answers to these questions of what woman is and why woman is inferior because um because men have skin in the game right there's there's uh, a lot of benefit that comes from this relationship for um you know certain groups of men and so we should be suspicious of their views um and but she also says look we should be suspicious of women too because they have it's it's important an important discussion for them too and they have a um they're not unbiased either um okay so she one thing that i want to raise as well is um she she talks about um that look it's hard for us to see these oppressive views we what what seems insignificant like insignificant social discriminations to a man but which produce in in women moral and intellectual effects that are very profound it's hard to those are hard for the oppressor to see so you know i think about think about in terms of race think about that saturday night live skit after trump was elected where all the white people were surprised that racism was still around because when you're in the group that's not oppressed like white it's going to be so much harder for you to see racism because the racism will not be directed at you which makes really small which makes things seem small that maybe aren't small so Beauvoir says okay look let's forget about all this talk of superiority inferiority equality we need to start again and I think that she says I think we can like let's try to look at what women are saying about this because one one thing she says is I think there's been enough that we've made progress towards equality that that women ha can have a bit of distance from this um, issue and I think it, it'll give them a way to see more clearly and she's very clear look it's I'm not saying that that 
anyone's free from bias. She, she writes that that's doubtlessly impossible to approach any human problem with a mind free from bias. And what we, sh what we need to do is bring our biases to light rather than concealing them. Um, and our criteria for thinking about better or worse social structures for Beauvoir is going to be, she says, the looking at public good. And for her, this means what assures the private good of citizens in the form of giving them concrete opportunities. So giving individuals concrete opportunities. So, and this is, I mean, then she talks about her uh, existential ethics and, you know, central to existential ethics is about personal authenticity and about freedom. So it makes sense that Beauvoir sees that the criterion she gives for evaluating social systems is about um, assuring concrete opportunities for individual citizens. And she rejects happiness as a possible criterion because she just says, look, there's no way of measuring happiness. And this is a cool point, I think. She says, it's always easy to describe as happy the situation in which one wishes to place people. So it's very easy to say, oh yeah, they're happy. They love it. They're happy. So that brings us to the end um, of, the, of this introduction. The final... Um, Thing I want to say about this introduction is um, that she artic at the end she articulates this the one central problem that she sees in the oppression of women this fundamental conflict between the aspiration of every subject who who regards themselves as essential and the compulsion of a situation in which that subject is forced to be inessential, to be only other. And that's kind of the central um, problem of this introduction and something she goes on. So we're at 30 minutes right now. I'm just gonna raise one critique that we, that we can talk about a little bit later. And that's the critique of the diversity perspective. Um, so one of the big critiques of the second sex was that it talks about women as if it's talking about the experience of being a woman for all women. And really, there are, as we were talking about earlier, there are important class and race and sexual orientation qualifiers if you think about the myths i mean there are different myths about what white woman is like what black woman is like what first nation women are like we have created all kinds of different women's in our culture and second sex is silent on that 
which is um, important, very important. So I think I'll leave it at that and um, and maybe that's something we can think about and talk about at our first in-person class in a few weeks and I hope you have a lovely weekend and I'll talk to you soon.